Good morning and welcome to chapel this morning. Please join me in the responsive reading of the words of Psalm 128. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house, your children like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you out of Zion, and may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen. Our scripture reading for today is taken from the Gospel according to St. Mark, the 10th chapter, beginning with verse 2. The Pharisees came and asked Jesus, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Testing him. And he answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. 
And Jesus answered and said to them, Because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. These are your words, Heavenly Father. They are your truth. We pray that you would now strengthen our Christian faith through them. Amen. I want to begin today by reading a paragraph from a Christian textbook. It was actually published by a professor at MLC years ago, uh, Lyle Lang. I want to read this. People often say, it takes two to make a marriage and it takes two to break a marriage. There are several problems with this statement. One problem is, one person can unilaterally break a marriage. The other partner may be ever so committed to keeping the marriage going. One partner can break the union by desertion or adultery. The second problem is that it gives aid and comfort to the one who broke the marriage bond. The wronged partner may have to plead guilty to not being a perfect spouse he or she does not have to plead guilty to breaking the marriage. Our hearts go out to people who have had to go through these difficult things in families. Uh, The breaking of marriages and kids that have had to survive divorce and people that have had a spouse who is unfaithful or just, um, just deserted them as far as being a spouse. The church should certainly be a refuge uh, to help people in such situations. This is such a sensitive subject. We don't hear divorce preached about very much. And one of the reasons is it's just so rampant in our society and in our churches too, even inside of the membership of our churches. I was talking to a Christian day school teacher at a church where I was serving. She was a sixth grade teacher at the time. And um, Uh, Most of the children in her classroom were from Christian families in the church. She told me that at least one-third of her children by sixth grade were already from broken homes. Another lady told me that even though her husband was the one who abandoned her and ran out on her with her children back when the kids were little, that she avoids going to church on the second Sunday in Epiphany because she knows it's going to be talking about marriage, and it's just too hard for her to have to think about. There's a professor, he's retired now, that used to be uh, at uh, a Lutheran seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, named David Scare. And he once mentioned that he was, is often asked, was often asked by local pastors to come and preach and speak on the subject of marriage and divorce. And the reason they asked him to come in and do it as a guest preacher was the pastor was too afraid to have to talk to his congregation about it. So these are very sensitive things that deal with very personal aspects of people's lives. Martin Luther described the three great enemies of our faith, the devil, the world, and our own flesh. And those are constantly trying to to pull us from Christ and keep us away from him and his word and sacraments so that we could go to heaven. But those three enemies also spend a lot of time on this, on marriage. The devil, the world, and our sinful flesh. All three of them 
They don't care what football team you root for. They don't care what restaurant is your favorite. But your marriage, your family, that's where they're going to spend their time and attention. Why? Why do the enemies of the Christian faith rage against this institution of marriage and want to break it apart? Well, the reason is because, first of all, God promises to give us such blessings through it. It's intended by God and designed by God to be a wonderful thing for our lives and a wonderful way for us to go through this earthly life. But secondly, it's also the place where children are most likely going to hear the faith and be taught the faith and to trust in their Savior. And so the devil knows if I can get my hands into this marriage relationship and wreck this, it's more than likely going to have an impact on the children and possibly on the adults too. If he can wreck and cause trouble and turmoil inside of a marriage, it so often has a negative impact on the spiritual lives of those involved. Secular people, non-Christians, recognize the negative fallout of marriage even in society and in people's lives. Back in 1971, there was a woman, Dr. Judith Wallerstein, a psychologist at the University of Berkeley, not a Christian, and she began a very important study. She studied 130 children, and every five years, she would sit down and have long, hours-long, intensive interviews of them. Uh, they were from 60 different families where they had gone through divorce. And she followed them for 25 years. Every five years, she would sit down and do an intensive study with them. And she later published a book called The Unexpected Legacy of Divorce. We have it in our library. And it's amazing all of the negative consequences that fall down into people's lives, the scars that are left on people way up into adulthood from things that happen because of their parents' marriages falling apart. I remember years ago talking to a young couple right in Bethany's gym. Uh, it was a brother and sister who had gone through their parents' divorce when they were little. And I was talking about how wonderful it was to be married and couldn't wait to go home and see my wife that night. And they were surprised and started to, started to uh, say, it's, it's nice to hear somebody speak well of marriage. And I thought, well, that's strange. A lot of my friends do. And, and uh, in my discussion with them, it was clear that the impact of their parents' Uh, divorce had really caused them to wonder about marriage and kind of even avoid it. There is a harsh reality about us as sinful human beings. If you get married, you will be marrying an imperfect person, somebody who is highly flawed. But also know this about yourself, that you will be an imperfect spouse. You will be a flawed spouse as well. We are all sinful, we are all weak, we all have buttons to push, we all have things inside of us that, that ultimately, because of that sinful flesh, rage against this institution of marriage. And when it comes down to it, every, every marriage that falls apart is due to selfishness, at least on the part of one, if not on the part of both. And we all recognize that's something that is churning inside of each one of us. We say things we shouldn't, we fall into temptations, we grumble, we covet, uh, we make comments that we shouldn't. Even back at the time of Moses, the great leader of God's people, think about it, the children of Israel were, were seeing miraculous events from God 
and hearing this great leader of God's people, Moses, speak to them and speak God's word to them on a regular basis. And even back then, we're told because of the hardness of their hearts, Moses just began granting divorces easily. And Jesus has to kind of reset things. He says that was not the original intent of God. He redirects the conversation. What God has joined together, let man not separate. When Jesus was at the wedding at Cana, must have been a pretty big event. They'd already run out of wine, and he provides anywhere from 120 to 180 gallons of new wine. I mean, that's a party. That's a serious party. And uh, granted, their weddings went on for days, but this was quite a big feast and a banquet. It was a very public event, and marriage is a public thing. It's a civic institution. Now, we know that God is the one who created it and established it in the Garden of Eden with our first parents. God is the one who brings people together, Jesus says. And yet, at the same time, it is a public institution. And so, marriage needs to be a public event, in, in this sense at least, that people are notified. It's almost as if it's saying to society, these two are now one, do not interfere. Do not interfere with this union. Our Lutheran confessions claim that marriage is an ordinance divinely stamped into nature. And that's why even atheists get married. Has, in that sense, doesn't necessarily just have to do with our faith, although we as Christians understand it in a fuller light because we know that God has established it. But there's another temptation that can come for, for maybe those who have good marriages and whose marriages are intact, maybe even thriving and doing well. It's possible to be tempted to start to get puffed up as we look at, at all the troubled marriages in the world and say, God, I thank you. I'm not like other people are. If only there were more good wives like me. If only there were more wonderful husbands like me. Just think how much better society would be. Just think how much better the church would be. Just think how much better the raising of children would be. God, I thank you. I'm not like other people are. I bet there were a lot of Pharisees in Jesus' day who had good marriages, who were good dads, who had kids that, that lived very clean, moral lives. we got to be careful of this, too, on that side of the fence. Even those who have intact marriages... We need to recognize that deep down inside of us are all of the same wicked, sinful urges that have caused other marriages to fall apart. And it's purely by God's grace if ours are still together. How wonderful it is that God in Scripture frequently uses the imagery of himself or Christ as the groom and his believers as his bride, the church. Think what a comforting picture that is. Despite our unfaithfulness, despite our idolatry and adultery against God, he still takes us back over and over again, restores us to himself through repentance and the wonderful forgiveness that he gives us. Our Lord Jesus is the perfect spouse. St. Paul writes about it when he says, Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Isn't that amazing? That's how God talks about you. 
That's, about, that's how God describes you, his bride, that he wants to bring to heaven. And so even the, the wicked, adulterous, murdering King David, who took another man's wife, impregnated her, and had the man killed, even someone who, who destroyed marriage so badly in that way, even he in repentance and faith in that coming Savior could claim that beautiful, holy perfection and righteousness that we all need to get to heaven. What wonderful grace we've been blessed to be dressed with in that robe of righteousness. And living in that grace, may it stir our hearts to go back into marriages and into your future marriages and to look at them with a different set of eyes. I'm going to close with a little story that, that happened to me many, many years ago. There's a young lady in her late 20s that came to me. She was not a member of my church, and she told me she wanted to divorce her husband and wanted to get away from him. And we sat, sat and talked, and basically the issue was she didn't like him anymore. She just didn't feel that he was um, what she wanted to be married to. There hadn't been any abuse, or there hadn't been any desertion or adultery or anything. And in our discussions, I, I finally took out her marriage vows and I put them in front of her. And I said, let's read your vows again. And we read the vows that she had taken on her wedding day. And I said, I'm just going to ask you, show me the phrases in here, or the phrase where God is giving you the right to now leave your husband. And she sat and stared at it for about two minutes, quiet. And she finally said, I think I need to go back to him. I think I need to restore my marriage. And I said, what I would recommend is you get a good Christian counselor, go to a pastor, somebody that can help you work through your problems with God's grace and his word. Uh, months later, she contacted me and said they'd been doing that. Things were going much better, and she considered herself once again happily married. It's amazing the things that God can restore when we're willing to humble ourselves and repent and recognize what a wonderful grace he has given us and the wonderful home that he has prepared for us that's waiting for us. May the Lord bless your future marriages. Amen. Please rise. And please join me in the prayer as printed. Lord God, Heavenly Father, send forth your Son, we pray, that he may lead home his bride, the church, that we with all your saints may enter into your eternal kingdom. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one true God, now and forever. Amen.
May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go now in his peace. Amen. Thank you.